What do you want of me? Get off my world. Get off my world. It belongs to me. If you can't handle rejection, then I think you better leave. You can call us fanatics, but the truth is we're hardcore. We love Belongs to me. Get out my world. It belongs to me. I just do the best I can. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Get Off My World, a podcast dedicated to classic Doctor Who and occasionally, when we're feeling generous, the new series two. We are uh, live at Console Room 2019, and with us today are some usual suspects (laughs) as well as guests. We have uh, Mr. Matthew Kesson here and Ariel Leaf. Yep. Kelvin, of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm here, yeah. Me, Joshua. <laughs> and we are missing our usual man, Pat Harrigan, who had to work. Ooh. That's a pretty <laughs> mundane excuse for a Doctor Who-related podcast. What kind of fan is he? Stuck in a time vortex or something exciting, but no... He is working, but we will hear some of his opinions and judge them. Oh, um, frankly, oh we will judge later them. Yeah. in the podcast. <laughs> but um, as always, we like to, in honor of the Brigadier, do five rounds rapid for this podcast, and we usually start with round one: temporal grace. And this is a, a way for us to all say something kind of positive, turn our back to our inner hateful geeks that sometimes come out <laughs> and say something nice about the world of Doctor Who. Kelvin, would you like to start? When I was at my parents' house over Thanksgiving, I stumbled onto uh, this program on PBS that I was unaware of. It's called Vintage Roads, and it's a travel series featuring Peter Davison, and um, I can't think of his name, the guy who played James Harriet. Christopher Timothy? Yeah. Yeah, it's the two of them in like a 1930s vintage car, just driving around parts of England, you know, like on roads that ha- you know aren't the current roads, you know, like the, the sort of back roads from olden times. It's just these two old buddies just kind of driving around and stuff. And then they have a car accident with Turlo and yeah. Fanny <laughs> from Modern and Dead. That'd be awesome. But uh, it was just... Leela's racing the car. <laughs> I was just channel serving. I'm like, wait, it's Peter Davison. <laughs> The, the one episode I saw was them driving through Wales, and apparently Peter Davison said something to the effect, like, I've never been in Wales before. Wow. And I'm like, what? It's like St. Paul here. Yeah. Right? I mean, <laughs> from Wasn't there like St. a convention Paul. in Cardiff or something? <laughs> you know, I mean, I just found that kind of astonishing. You've never been in Wales? Hmm. Mr. Kesson? Uh, well, I mean, this is going to maybe sound like... Shameless chilling, but uh, this is console room number six, I believe. Console yes. room number uh, 2019. It's my first time at console room. I'm doing a couple panels and uh, two shows on main stage. And so far, I mean, it's only been a couple hours so far, but everyone I've met has been super fun and super interesting, and uh, and I'm having a good time so far. And on Sunday, uh, I will be on main stage interviewing uh, Neve McIntosh, who of course plays uh, Madame Vastra and other Silurians in the in the Doctor Who new series. And the best way I can think of to uh, express 
how I feel about this is that, you know how nerds have replica weapons, you know, around their houses? I don't know where my lightsabers are anymore. The only replica weapon I have in my house that I can find for you, it's right next to my door, is Madame Vastra's sword. That's the only one I have. So that's where I'm at as far as Madame Vastra fandom is concerned. And uh, Do you keep it by the door for intruders or to show off? Or... It, was, it was actually just kind of the only empty space oh. that fit it best, to be <laughs> okay. perfectly honest. Um, the Lord knows I show it off to people who have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, the opportunity to sit down with her and ask her a couple of questions um, and try to persuade her to love me um, <laughs> is uh, is one that I'm very, very excited about. Excellent. Ariel? Well, something that came up the last time uh, we were doing our podcast is the broad and growing appeal of Doctor Who. And, and no matter where I happen to feel about where the series is going at any time, uh, that fact and the kind of the wonderfulness of that fact was brought home to me because my daughter keeps chasing me around the house every time I try to keep the bobblehead of uh, Jodie Whittaker from her. She's really, really convinced that that doll is her, her doll. And there was a moment where I just stopped and said, there's a bobblehead Doctor Who character. And not only that, it's a female doctor. <laughs> like, And I was just kind of awestruck, and she took that opportunity to then take the doll and attempt to bury it in her bed. <laughs> but, um, you know, just that something that inherently, I think, I mean, you know, there are warlike episodes or whatever, but inherently a show that is gentle in nature, that's about curiosity, that's about exploration, um, can have a, a wide-ranging appeal still, and in fact can grow. Really, really touches my little heart. Uh-huh. Well, my temporal grace is going to sound really cynical. <laughs> what? No kidding. No, no I, I mask my joy in cynicism. <laughs> I'm kind of excited the Doctor Who's not going to come back for another year. <laughs> and it's it's mainly though because there is so much. Doctor Who to consume. Uh, I think I've reached a point where when I heard they're not coming back till 2020, I kind of went, oh, good, I can catch up. It was, it was sort of like a, a timeout that I, I much needed, which is how much like big finish stuff I'd love to listen to, comic books that are coming out. And obviously, every time we get together doing this podcast, when we're not recording, we're recommending various books or Doctor Who games or something to each other. And so I feel like I can just take a deep breath. And also in the podcast, we can dig into the weirdest little corners of fandom, which I think is where we flourish. (laughs) In the dark. (laughs) Let's turn over this rock. What's under here? Oh, it's the Get Off My World podcast. (laughs) Okay, now we're going to move into round two, and this is going to be a special topics Dalek. And this was provided by uh, someone from our audience, a friend and listener, Eric, who suggested that we talk about Adric. Is he too maligned in fandom? Yes or no? And then we're done. We can move on. We can tell him that we did it. (laughs) I, I, I will admit that I didn't realize... In my early days of Doctor Who fandom, before you know, when it was still you know the '80s and kind of an underground thing in America, like I didn't realize you were you were not supposed to like Adric. That that was like the consensus, and partly because the first other well, one of the first other significant Doctor Who fans I met when I was in college was a woman who happened to think Matthew Waterhouse was cute. Mm, you lived but, in an Adric bubble. I lived in an Adric <laughs> bubble, and then when I got older, and it's like, oh, Adric is so annoying. He's so whiny, and I. I kind of didn't get it, and, and, and then I started to think, like, do I identify with Adric more mm-hmm. than other companions? Like, am I 
sort of a know-it-all whiny person? Is that what I am? <laughs> You're half of that. No, I'm ha- <laughs> not at all. <laughs> but no, Edward, Edward was created even... to do that. That yeah. was the hope, is yeah. that uh, young male viewers would identify with him. Yeah. So it sounds like you did it. You also bring up, I think, a really interesting point about that is like pre-internet. We didn't know what we were supposed to like. <laughs> <laughs> there wasn't this mass. Oh, iPhone, mass give me your guidance. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I'm going to jump in and say that yes, I think he was, but I, I think that uh, every companion and every doctor is either super, super well loved or super, super well hated because Doctor Who fans are super, super opinionated. You know, but it's that very passion that's like great about fans. Like they pick their favorites and they really lock into what they love and like. Hopefully, if TV producers have half a brain, they listen to some of that and give us a little more of what we like, please. But, like, that's something that I really love about Whovians is that, yes, there's maybe a general love for Tom Baker, but then beyond that, everybody sort of has their favorite or least favorite companions, and they they have the research to back that up. So while I think that perhaps there's a little too much complaining about him, uh, I like that it overall sort of shows the passion of the... Mm-hmm. That's a really positive spin on the you know the passionate nature of Doctor Who fans. It's putting it in a really good light. Joshua, would you like to ruin it? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Captain Segway. <laughs> Please shake your cane at some point. <laughs> I think Hadrick is a, a perfect storm of um, not great writing and acting, which made people be harsher on him than I do think he deserves. I would agree that he is uh, maligned too heavily. Uh, I think it's a period of the show that in, in the 80s with the companions, you had to bring the same level of imagination and enthusiasm to them as you did to say like the Merca, you know, to the monster special effects. You had to sort of fill in the gaps yourself. Again, there was no big finish to tell you, well, actually, in retrospect, this is an amazing character. See what we can do with it. You had to do that watching the show. I mean, I think that's true of Nyssa. I think that's true of um, Tegan. Well, I Um, think anytime you have like multiple companions, you also have to do that a little bit because you don't get any of them as fleshed out as you do when it's a singular companion. So whatever little shtick is their shtick, you're either going to love it or hate it and you're not going to get a lot more. You're not going to get a lot of time to go in depth with them. I also think it goes back to what Calvin was saying is the double-edged sword of a identification character. Because an identification character can result in people identifying and going, I really like him. That reminds me of me. Or you could not like it because it reminds you too much of of yeah. you, you know, okay, it's maybe yeah, a, yeah. too much of a I, dark, a a dark mirror oh, held yeah. up. To yeah, you. I, I hate. Yeah, I feel weird bringing this up, but Adric was like the first teenage boy companion. I, I feel weird bringing that up. Like, oh God, finally there's a boy character. <laughs> you know, but fight the power, Adric. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that was that was kind of a new thing for me. At last, <laughs> it's like finally some white male representation. Oh my god! Jeez. Speaking of my identification, though, for a little while, you know, because because Ace was my girl, I was just the right age for. Her. I tried to make Gordon Bennett a thing that people said. <laughs> it didn't happen. <laughs> Spoiler: nobody else but me ever said it. <laughs> but I tried really hard. <laughs> I will admit that I have not seen any of the any of the Adric episodes myself. Yes, I know. I know. Ow! Ow! Stop hitting me. <laughs> I could say some words about how the Merca is unfairly maligned, but I will leave that for later on in the convention. <laughs> 
I like that you think there are Adric episodes, like they just star Adric. (laughs) (laughs) So we can make you. I do not think that. We could make you believe Uh, anything. For the record, no. Adric episodes are like Amy Pond episodes. They're (laughs) episodes that include the character. Yeah, there was that one great episode where Adric kicks open the door and he's got like a huge ray gun and just starts blowing away Daleks. (laughs) For those of you just tuning in on previous episodes of the podcast, I am not treated like the substitute teacher. This is new. I hope you're all enjoying it. <laughs> and now round three, and where we're going to talk about uh, the recent New Year's special uh, featuring the 13th Doctor uh, resolution or resolutions. I can't remember. Was it plural? Help me out, nerds. Resolution, it says here. Okay. I think it was singular. And by it says here, what's happening is that I am now moving from substitute teacher to mindless voice. Uh, we've hit your specialty yeah, I'm agreeing at last. With you. Absolutely. Uh, I have been asked to, uh, Mr. Harrigan cannot join us today, and I have been asked to read his uh, his remarks, which <laughs> I surely need not mention to old viewers, uh, listeners out to the program, are voluminous. <laughs> Does he use the word are- interiority? <laughs> Let's find out. Are you ready? After five minutes, I'm just going to start snoring. That sounds fine. Yeah. Yeah, So then then I'll know. That'll be good. Are you ready? Then we'll begin. I really liked it. Robert Heinlein's The Puppet Master is a classic of the genre, and although the details are vastly different, it was made into a very respectable film with one of one of my favorite actors, Donald Sutherland, in 1994. I'm not certain if these are, in fact, his remarks on resolution, but I will continue nevertheless. <laughs> oh, he actually remarks on this. Oh, wait, we're talking about the Doctor Who New Year's special. I really liked it. Everyone likes Kyle McLaughlin, of course, and The Hidden from 1987 is an unappreciated sci-fi gem. Also notable for starring veteran TV actors Claudia Christian from Babylon 5 and Richard Brooks from Law and Order and Firefly, and even a small role for Danny Trejo. Psst, New Year's special pat. Does he talk to himself on the... Anyway. Uh, all right, I really liked it. As the first time we see the Daleks back in the new series, the writers and actors really ramp up the threat level by insisting on how terrible even a single Dalek alone on Earth can be, and Christopher Eccleston's performance really sells... How damaged, he knew I was going to read this, how damaged and almost unhinged he's become compared with the previous doctors we're used to, but really, what did you like about it? Well, okay, I think this is it, guys. After complaining on just our last podcast episode that I couldn't envision Jodie Whittaker giving a speech like Eccleston's I'm going to wipe every stinking Dalek out of the sky one, we get a couple of variations of Eccleston's dialogue from Dalek and Matt Smith's Planet is Under My Protection speech from 11th Hour, as well as a Whittaker installment of the usual Look How Brilliant Human Beings Are speech that crops up from time to time. I can't say that I thought of any any of them were very remarkable, but it was interesting to see her kind of run the bases, really cementing herself into some of the show's usual tropes. Was it good? Not really. And this is how we know this is Pat. <laughs> but it felt more Doctor Who-y, even if derivative, than some of the blandly predictable adventure TV product that we've been getting this season, including with much of this episode. That's where we're going to start. And I think that is the lukewarmness that we, if you have not listened to our other episodes of the podcast, have felt toward, in general, there are patches of warmth and coldness, <laughs> but it blends into lukewarmness towards this recent uh, series of Doctor Who. And so that's where we were as a podcast going into this special. And apparently um, Pat did not shake that loose. No, he could not shake away the, the lukewarmness. I, on the other hand, had a great time with this episode. I, 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 I had a blast. We, one of the things we talked about a lot in our last podcast was sort of the passivity of some of the episodes, and this was not passive at all. 
this acted and it acted really fast. I mean, there are things I could make fun of, like the reverse alien hugger. Oh, it's a piggyback ride from an alien. Wait, what <laughs> movie are we watching? But like overall, it's just, it had a sense of urgency. It felt like there was something to lose. It felt like the stakes were high. I agree. Like The doctor seemed really proactive for a change. She didn't spend a ton of time explaining why they shouldn't do anything, which seems to be like a problem with this season. And you're right, it had a great pace, but it did slow down with, again, some of the family stuff that is, for me as a viewer, I'm just not interested in the emotional dynamics of these characters. I'm that old school fan. I I don't care about your dad and we'd be down a character. I was like, go reunite with your father, and now we can be down to two, and then something should happen for Yaz, and then we'll just have Graham, and it will be good. I mean, it's well acted. I thought his dad did a great job, but I just didn't care that much. It's but Yaz got 10 seconds of police, you know, work. Yeah, yeah she, she actually did kind of. It really, she didn't. She just <laughs> told them to leave the building. There was a moment of self-referential satire with this crowded TARDIS syndrome at the end mm-hmm. when they land the TARDIS in front of the junkyard Dalek, and they have to... Roll the camera way back to even fit everyone who comes out of this clown car into the frame because there are like 12 people all standing in a line ready to fight for lines of dialogue. They're probably desperate (laughs) at that point. We don't care about killing the Daleks. They will happily kill each other for two more words. I basically liked it. The only thing that kind of bugged me about it was like, okay, we finally get some character stuff with Ryan. And what do they come up with? The black absentee father. And I was like... Oh, God, really? At least he didn't die at the end. I was so afraid he was going to die. I I, I thought he was either going to die or worse, like betray the TARDIS team, like the Dalek offers him money or something, like gold or something. I didn't buy his microwave. I literally (laughs) thought that was what what, what was going to happen. And I was like, no, no, I no, didn't no. Think, I didn't think that at all. Partly because casting has been so diverse, like those stereotypes don't jump out. Mm-hmm. But this one really did, actually. It, just the notion that the missing dad selling a toaster oven, like there was something about that I really hated, that he was going around like trying to, to schlep this product. Well, yeah, like, they kind of make a comment like, you know, this isn't a good sales strategy. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was just like, yeah, I don't know what you're doing here. I thought the most exciting parts of this episode, and possibly of the entire recent season, was the Dalek possessing the archaeology. It was really cool. It, was really it cool. created a few brief scenes like I'd never seen in Doctor Who and thought it was going to do something And I thought the actress different. was quite good. She was quite, really quite good. good. The scene where she's in the car and there's a Dalek telling her, Faster! faster and cops are coming behind her. I thought we were going to get this whole like car chase or like Tarantino like the Dalek robbing liquor stores and I suddenly (laughs) wanted to see this just sort of like total like street level Dalek yeah. carnage. Just, yeah. Yeah. Dirty, <laughs> dirty Mary and crazy Dalek. The, intensity, awesome. the <laughs> intensity and the drive and the determination of the Dalek mm-hmm. was everything I had been missing in the yep. season. You know, I really, I honestly loved that we had the flash dance welding scene. Like, you know, I really, <laughs> I really enjoyed this just like, how am I going to make this happen? Yeah. I am one. You know, mm-hmm. how can I be the, the most fearsome? How can I have my best potential for takeover? Yeah. Like, where do I have to get a file? What do I have to do? Like, yeah. it just up the stakes. I needed that badly. It, it was derivative of Dalek, as Pat mentioned. But I think they managed to do their own spin on it. And there's um, no way with all of the Dalek episodes that we have had throughout all of Doctor Who that there's not going to be some derivatives that are going to happen mm-hmm. in every episode, yeah. you know? 
I think it is Chibnall's best script this season. Yeah. Not that that's hard. That is damning with faint praise, I will give you that, but it felt like there was a story there. I feel it petered out a little toward the end, but... It didn't feel that Chibnall-y to me. No. And he had one or two really good lines (laughs) for Chibnall squeaked in there. There was the one where the doctor had to stop for a moment and go, wait, how long is a rel again? And I thought that was a very funny little nerd joke. Here's a weird thing that came up for me, and I don't know why it came up in this episode and hadn't before, but, like, the console is weird to me. Like, it isn't the kind of, like, sci-fi that I am used to thinking of the TARDIS console as. It because is, it's got it the is, random junk combined yeah, with the it's, crystals. Yeah, it's, it's and... kind of more steampunky, and, like, I keep mm-hmm. expecting an oil can to appear out of somewhere. <laughs> or, like, and I don't know why, and, and, and the sort of whole crystalline structure of the whole yeah. thing. For some reason, this was the first time I really looked at the console well, spent a lot and of the time whole room, the and I was just like, this thing is weird. It's I, I don't really so like that. Unlike I don't really like the any new other t- No. I feel like they're in like uh, a Slovenian crystal cave (laughs) (laughs) having a steampunk convention. Like, I'm not quite. It just just feels really cramped in there, and I don't think that's because there's three companions. I think it's just. They made some weird claustrophobic set, and I don't know why. I think the crystal portions are overwhelming (laughs) visually. Yeah, well, the color contrast is really intense, too. I find myself like squinting when they're in there sometimes. As the lighting designer, I'm like. Blue versus bright orange is never a good choice. I mean, I'm a fan of the original TARDIS where it looks like a piece of really advanced technology. I mean, advanced technology as realized by the BBC in the 1960s, but still that the Doctor has put weird stuff into as he, you know, yeah, about yeah, traveling. Yeah, he keeps adding on another which, keyboard yeah. or another... For the new series, that's why I enjoyed uh, Capaldi's last TARDIS because yeah. he had the bookshelves that looked like he just put in. He went... And, Bought them at Ikea. <laughs> Put them up over the advanced technology so he can read. Yeah, I don't know what else to say about this episode myself. It leaves me kind of not anxiously awaiting the next season, but not feeling really See, kind nasty of but like, about it. You know, you were saying you were glad that there was a year off, and I think this is the first moment where I'm like, well, but if they could be more like that one, I'd be happy if they started up next year. You know, I mean, to me, I, I have a deep sadness over, like, getting my lady doctor and then it not being very exciting. I don't want it to be rushed because I want it to be good, but I don't want it to be forgotten either. Yeah. I think with the first female doctor, you have that baggage of their being just really cautious of how they portray her. Because while I was watching this, I, I had this sudden realization that I'm really looking forward to the second female doctor. Yeah. Not anything about Joey Whitaker, but they will not be... It won't be wearing the, the weight first. of that. It won't yeah. be like, if we make this character choice, it's because it's played Ooh, by well, a I've woman. already sent in my resume. So. <laughs> <laughs> that is perfect. They need their first American, and yeah. they need their second woman, so yeah. I'm pretty sure I fit the Come bill. On. I, I did, don't yeah. feel like America is represented around the world. <laughs> no. I don't think we have our tendrils. Certainly not in England, no. <laughs> yeah, American representation in Doctor Who. Perry... Uh, Nixon no. and, <laughs> and and really stereotypical cowboys. That's <laughs> yeah. yeah. Any last thoughts on the New Year's special before we? I was get trying out to here. figure out how the. At one point, she just had the the Dalek like ray gun, but no like battery pack or anything. So I was trying to figure out how that worked. How Don't did it ever? Yeah. Try to <laughs> Wait, can you ever? Technology <laughs> works in Doctor Who. Yeah. Or science in general. And then, you know, I I really enjoyed the, like, sort of stormtrooper moment of the one Dalek 
surrounded by all the soldiers with all the guns. And it's it's a Dalek that's not even its own magic armor. Like, yeah. before when a Dalek, you know, things ping off a Dalek, I'm like, well, it's Dalek magic armor. It's no big deal. But this is just welded human metal, right? And yet still somehow 200 soldiers firing at it does nothing. In a way, I took it as kind of like a weird bookend with the, the 13th Doctor just building her own sonic screwdriver out of whatever was junk was laying around. Yeah, that scene I think was definitely meant to evoke yeah. the first episode of the series where she built the Sonic. Yeah. Also, I think there's a missed portion where the Daleks stole alien technology. So part of that was welded together out of alien tech. I can't believe I'm trying to excuse yes, this episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm no, doing, right. a little, I doing brought, a little swinging I in there. Positivity on you. That was great. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, the Dalek forced her onto the internet. And she managed to look up where the Black Archive was. <laughs> How did it know what to look for? I don't know. <laughs> Secret yeah, underground is... papers. <laughs> Google, look, go. Look, guys, the reason the reason I read Pat Harrigan's thing is I haven't seen this episode. So I read Pat Harrigan's thing. That's great. That's terrific. I'd just like to say at this time, when you start looking for the science plot holes in Doctor Who, you've made a terrible, terrible mistake. <laughs> and if you don't decide to stop... It will never come upon you. You will be swallowed by the abyss. Exactly. Except so. the, the positive thing that will come out of this is that I must have enjoyed the episode enough to be like, eh. explain this to me. You, know, <laughs> I you were engaged. I want this all to work. It's that weird way of portraying Daleks where like they're technologically comparable to Time Lords and can do all sure. this amazing stuff. And you can also just kind of shove them off a cliff and they fall down and blow up. <laughs> you know, or hit them with a baseball bat. <laughs> I will say that this episode hit home to me that the Doctor in many ways as a character is defined by his, her enemies. Oh, yeah. And this episode made me feel like I understood Jodie Whittaker's take on the Doctor more than any other episode. And I think yeah. it's no accident that it featured a really strong Antagonist. I don't think it has to be all classic monsters. I'm not one of those nerds that needs to see the no. same thing over and over again. It showed that the previous portions of the season just didn't have strong adversaries. You can't define a new doctor when all she's doing is battling the evil inside all of us or, you know, the sort of soft, squishy stuff that was represented most of the rest of the series. I mean, there was the uh, all that advanced talk, like there's going to be no classic enemies in the season. And then the New Year's special is Daleks. Maybe we read it wrong. He's just, yeah. There's going to be no enemies in the new series. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to move to round uh, four. And this is another special topics, Dalek. And this time we are uh, going to actually allow you to participate. That Dalek. sounds great. Oh, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> and give us a special topic to discuss here All right. today. So uh, one of the guests here at Console Room this year is Neve McIntosh, who I have discussed no. at some length already. Um, and one of the things that she's famous for in, in the Whovian community is a, a large outcry for a Paternoster Gang spinoff, a spinoff starring her character and two other, other characters. I explained that to you, people listening to Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> um, so you're welcome. But uh, in the spirit of spinoffs, then, what is a Doctor Who spinoff that you would like to see that no rational television executive would ever greenlight in a million years? Well, 
you brought it up in the last round, like Perry and Nixon together. <laughs> <laughs> Having American adventures would be, would be a hoot. Perry and Nixon? Yeah, the two American characters. We oh, all oh, right, yeah. It just, it rolls off the tongue. <laughs> Nixon, yeah. Yeah, Nixon, Nixon is the only, like, really yeah. famous American historical figure. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, yeah. right after... Uh, Matt Smith leaves. Colin Baker could drop off Perry, um, you know. And Perry, could, Nixon, and yeah. Rosa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been surprised that Big Finish has not mined this for a box set, exploring uh, what happened to Wilson, the electrician, who dies off-screen in rows <laughs> in the very beginning, <laughs> who apparently has confronted the Autons. But I can see them expanding this into just that he has fought off all sorts of other invasions, and it's this oh, was his sure. final battle. <laughs> he passed the baton to the new doctor. He could not quite... Wilson, the electrician, could not quite beat the Autons. Excellent. That would be great. I would like to see, well, I don't know if I'd really like to see it once it actually happened, but I imagine that I'd like to see some form of this old TARDIS in which the TARDIS is redecorating herself every time she gets a new doctor. She's like, well, this one's a little bit older, but he's into rock and roll, so we're going to need to have a lot, you know, and, and so so each time there's a new doctor, you just every once in a while special. That we see what goes into really... Yeah, making this happen. How does one really think through what you're doing? Like these sort of secret needs. time lord redecorating gnomes like, coming out, <laughs> <laughs> out of like a hidden compartment. Just... Come to me, my children. I think, Please see, remove see, this, all this, this, this will make the space look bigger. <laughs> yeah. Crystals. I'm thinking crystals yeah. for this one. A lot of them, <laughs> from what I hear. <laughs> Kelvin, I would kind of like to see. John Cleese and Eleanor Braun's art critic characters from City of Death. <laughs> yes. Come back and just like get involved with the art world and the, you know criticizing various abstract sculptures that are like secretly you know alien tech that had been left on Earth for thousands of years or something, or like they could be taken off planet and get involved in the art world of some other planet or something. That would really sell. Like, if they did, yeah. like, a short of John Cleese, if he's just walking through the black archives of Unit. Yeah. <laughs> artistically criticizing every artifact. The Bill Nye guy from the museum could, could also oh, be in there. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. I'm for it. Okay, well, because I'm participating now, I have two of them, but I'll keep it short. So there's the Silurian arcs, right? There's a couple of them. More, more of them appear besides the dinosaurs and the spaceship one at, at Trenzalore at one point. So I want one that's just a Silurian arc going through space and trying to find somewhere to land and having various adventures. And then it's also the size of Canada, so it can be, so, so there can be like politics and stuff. And uh, there's different species of Silurians and there's dinosaurs and there's all kinds of stuff. And, and this is not an especially coherent pitch, but nevertheless, uh, I stand by it. What? I think someone at Big Finish just cocked their heads straight. <laughs> they sent something in the air because I can see that happen. Uh, and then my other one is series, oh, I don't know, six or seven. There was an end of series episode where the conceit, and if we want to pick it apart, then it will be destroyed immediately by the way it was the conceit that all of history happens at the same time and so there's Winston Churchill and he has a Silurian doctor and pterodactyls are a pest that needs to be eliminated and everything's <laughs> happening at the same time and of course that's insane but uh, it's a fun demented yes. little world oh, and yeah. I could watch at least one one, one season <laughs> um, one season of stuff happening in the world where all of history happens at once what if, like, a later doctor goes back in time and takes baby Benton from the time monster and 
raises him before he becomes old. Oh, God. <laughs> so I sort of want a so version of Care Bears starting so. adipose, you know, <laughs> broccoli adipose and the sunshine adipose. Here's a happy <laughs> Well, thank you, Matt. Uh, we're going to move on to our uh, fifth and final round, and this is something that we like to do on the podcast called the death zone we go through some suggestions from our audience that we've collected ahead of time and basically we take two doctor who characters concepts stories strange artifacts inanimate objects anything and put them in the death zone and make them fight and we as a panel will discuss who we think wins each death zone battle and so uh here we go we've got the silurian third eye of death versus Angel's ability to send to the past. Oh, wow. So there's different ways to approach this, which is a better story device, which is just sick cool. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and w- which one would actually win in a fight? The question is, can the Silurian blink? Does that third eye blink? I don't think they had the budget. So the Silurian would win, yes. Yes, because it doesn't blink. Because it's looking right at the weeping angel. Save that for your Silurian spinoff. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Would the eye of death work on the weeping angel? The beauty of the of the Silurian third eye is that what it does is stuff. They uh, talk with it, and they have telekinesis, and they have telepathy, and they have whatever anyone wants it to do. It is not as finely defined as the angel's ability. So I think that is another another That's mark. Another win. Oh, yeah, if absolutely. we want it to win, we can figure out a way to make yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So Silurian third eye beats the angels. That I did not see coming. No, neither did I. But <laughs> I think we have a strong. As long case. as the Silurian did not see coming. Oh. <laughs> Need some eye drops for that poor Silurian. All right, Titans Comics versus Doctor Who Magazine. I assume Doctor Who Magazine Comics. Yeah. The Titan be being guess. the newer yeah. comics. Oof, that could be a bit difficult. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've read a little bit of both. I don't want this huge audience to turn on us. <laughs> I would say the, the Titan comics have been overall... Better quality and less impenetrably Careful, weird. Calvin, they're raising their pitch for it. Oh, no. <laughs> See, All of them. <laughs> I have not read enough Titan comics to make this opinion here, but I will say I like the weirdness and the disregard for continuity that the old Doctor Who comic strips had and Doctor Who magazine had. And the art was almost always phenomenal. They were the actual professional artists sure. and comic book writers of the day. So I find that hard to compete, but I'm also a sad middle-aged man, and that's what I grew up reading. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to ditto that. Ariel, you're not a sad <laughs> middle-aged man. <laughs> well, thank Give you her time. <laughs> I actually have to agree with that sort of enjoyment for disregard of continuity, because I think that um, everybody should be able to create whatever Doctor Who story they want, yeah, yeah. and not feel bound to the mainstream timeline and storyline, so... I've been researching every, everything everybody's ever written or said about Silurians, and now I want to it, die. It, it might also be because I got three-fourths of the way through writing a Doctor Who novel, and then time continuity made the, the novel impossible, and I threw it away <laughs> weeping. But, you know. Was that last week? <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have new Silurians versus old Silurians. New Silurians apparently eat people. Yes. They're more action-ready, certainly. You know, they yeah. leap about, and they have the tongue, and they have, and they have guns and that sort of thing. But as, as we said in the previous one, of course, old Silurians have the third eye, which does whatever. The old things. Silurians also had the weird crumb horn motif. <laughs> in, the, in the soundtrack, yes. they had that weird... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That's true. Not so, not a point in their favor. Well, you're saying <laughs> that would just annoy the living hell out of the new settler. <laughs> but that could just Oh, result. God, here come the cousins again. <laughs> <laughs> go off and hang with the sea devils or I'm something. I'm going to go with the old ones because that third eye is pretty powerful. That third eye solves a lot of problems, yeah. <laughs> all this, this also has if the only extra, we all had a third eye. Had a third eye, eye that did whatever it, the, the plot needed it yes, to do. The, the plot hole eye. Um... <laughs> Madam Vastra versus River Song. So oh, there we've God. got on many levels. Here we've got oh, like just boy. who's a better character. <laughs> Kelvin's going to kill himself. Who would win in a fight? Who makes Kelvin more uncomfortable? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so well, you're going with River Song, right, Matt? No, I'm not going with River Song. <laughs> I don't know. I, I actually think I have to go with, with River Song. I, on what basis? A superior character or just win in a fight? I think when in a fight, I think she's incredibly resourceful. If you look at all the things she managed to do out of her jail cell, you know, I think that she would come up with some clever... She'd know ahead of time the fight was coming. She'd have all sorts of backup plans and trapdoors and secret escape shoots if the fight wasn't going well, and I think she'd have the upper hand. I can, I can live with that, and, uh, and of course, I like Madame Vasper for reasons that are... Uh, you know, totally that, personal and totally not appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Scales. Reptile stuff and yes. lizard people and all yeah. that sort of thing. The thing about Madame Vasper versus River Song as characters, I, I think you're probably... Yeah, I mean, as far as in a fight, I think you make a very strong point, but as, uh, as characters... Leaving all of my fondness for reptiles aside, what I like about Madame Vaster more than Rivered Song is uh, they're both powerful characters who look the doctor in the eye and tell him he's wrong mm-hmm. and all that sort of thing. But Madame Vaster never has the give all my lives to you mm-hmm. subplot, which I think, uh. yeah, well, which, which Ariel's moan uh, crystallizes my thoughts eloquently. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I think we can agree River Song in a fight, Madame Vaster as a character. Sold. What a compromise. If only our, <laughs> if only our government could work this way. Um, the Veil Yard versus Missy. Nice. I think Missy would uh, take Missy. it. I think Missy wins, although I, I have like a childhood fear yeah. of the Veil Yard. Yeah. Like, it was the first time that Doctor Who was really dark to me. And That's I remember, you know, I was like your own dark nine, side. and I yeah. was just like, no, the Doctor can't ever be like that. The show can't keep going. He can't be like that one day. Like, I was just horrified that my beloved Doctor might become that creepy, mm-hmm. but nobody tops me. Unless the girl yard She could kill someone mm-hmm. with an eyebrow. No, she'd just be like, like, nice hat and break his neck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, unless the bail yard came up with some... Stunning legal maneuver. I, I think Missy, you know, all over him. Yeah. I just, I just came here from a from a panel about the Paternoster gang, and there was a question of of uh, other than the doctors they've worked with, what doctor would we like them to work with? And the answer we came up with was thirteen, and replace all of her companions with the Paternoster gang and have them fight Missy, and the whole crowd went nuts, <laughs> um, and rightly so. Jelly babies versus recorder. <laughs> <laughs> I think they should team up. You could shoot the jelly babies out of the recorder. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to imagine them fighting, and I'm just imagining some sort of sitting Marty Croft. Like, <laughs> like, <laughs> it's the jelly babies. <laughs> uh, um, I'm going to say jelly babies because I'm hungry. <laughs> jelly babies because he's hungry. I'm going to say uh, jelly babies are more versatile for ingratiating into alien cultures. We've seen that work time and time again. Playing the recorder can get damn annoying. Well, and also if you if you get those jelly babies sticky, they can hold things together. Yeah. They yeah. can you could lift prints. I mean, the jelly babies are just versatile in general. Yeah, yeah. I'm with all this. They do a lot. 
and recorder was my least favorite part of music class in elementary school. So, <laughs> so I'm there we scarred. go. The end. Uh, Fez versus Scarf. 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 Again, more versatile. Wait. Mm. Hold up. What scarf are we talking about? Are we talking There's about only one Tom Baker's scarf? We're talking about four. The 13th Doctor has a scarf. In, yeah, in, but in. it's not the If someone bothers to write down Fez versus scarf, I'm yeah. going to find another character Tom Baker's scarf. And, yeah. and, and the, the, the seventh Doctor has a scarf. Yeah. Uh-huh. I was just wondering if there was another character <laughs> named Scarf that I didn't know. <laughs> was that the name of the little guy from the new season episode that eats? A little scarf? angry alien. Scarf. No, he was a batink. No. But, but I, he he did my, scarf. Yeah, I mean, you want to look at another yeah. take on the word scarf. Well, that went nowhere. Fez versus Scarf. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, scarf is iconic. It, 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 ha- yeah. it has to be the scarf, but I am a big fan of the Fez. It was overused. But it was uh, when it was it first was, introduced, something that was unique to that character. It, it made me laugh very hard. I find nothing quite as stupidly funny as a man in a Fez. Despite carrying on about Fezes, we say Scarf. <laughs> um, the first Dr. Tardis interior versus fourth Dr. Tardis interior but come on, that's a little vague. Which fourth doctor interior? Mm. Could be the wooden one. Let's say it's the wooden one to give him a yeah, fighting make chance. Yeah, it more interesting. Yeah. So, it, and it's the first doctor's expansive, nice set before they just started using like photocopies of the walls. <laughs> well, I think you know one of the interesting things about picking those two is that you're picking two that are iconic in two very different ways. You know, number four is just he, he's got everybody's heart. You know, so you see, so, you, so your heart goes there, but then you think the first real TARDIS, and how do you not love that more than anything? I'm going to vote for the fourth Doctor Wood Tardis. It blew my mind as a child. Not only did I love how it looked, but just the idea that there was a second console room just made you sort of, I have to rethink everything now. <laughs> There's a backup console room? That's how I felt when the Doctor randomly mentioned the swimming pool in one episode. I was like, is that a swimming pool, man? And then I had to imagine him sitting in a sauna wearing like his, just his hat and a little towel. <laughs> I'm gonna go for four as well, uh, for the same reasons as uh, as Scarf. It's just uh, it's just more. I mean, yes, the first one is the first one, but how many more people are familiar with the fourth? How many more people uh, have the fourth be the, the most meaningful one to them? For me, I have to go with the first because it made us believe. Like yeah, it made us nice. believe that this works, and and it made us believe enough that we went on to have a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth yeah. and so on. So you're voting. Yeah, I. Mm. But this is tense. This is our last one. Yeah, I, I know. I, I, draw? I, I, I really like the first Doctor's TARDIS set, but I'm, I, I will kind of go to the fourth wooden one in it because it was a sad thing that the wooden set warped, and that's why you only see it a couple of times. So you're going to go with the fourth out of sympathy? Yes. <laughs> sympathy. They, put, they put the set away, and it warped, and they couldn't use it anymore and because, because the plan was like that was going to be the new TARDIS set going forward. Wow. But they, they didn't store it properly and it wrecked. Imagine if that had been like the new direction and it just kept getting more warped and more, and more. Warped. <laughs> more warped. It's chameleon so it doesn't work. The sonic it's... screwdriver is like a stick. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't work on wood. So that, well, yeah, there you go. There you go. 
All right, everybody, thank you so much for coming to our podcast and our recording. Um, We will be back again um, tomorrow recording a new episode. It's a randomizer episode where every single topic is going to be discovered in the moment through uh, use of a randomizer so that we don't end up getting caught by the Black Guardian. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Until Saturday, I'm Joshua. I'm Kelvin. I'm Ariel. And I'm Matt. And we're saying, get Get out of my world. Thank you, people, for actually being here. I guess people wanted to watch Katie Manning and be interviewed. Weird. Uh, (laughs) Funny.